Hello, my name is Miller Pike. I'm a producer and creator located in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and you're once again joining me on AP Studio Files. AP Studio Files. A podcast brought to you surrounding the conversations of art, creativity, and community in partnership with Apartment Party. Welcome to our fourth episode. If you're joining us for the first time, please also check out episode one featuring Anya Kapishki, episode two featuring Carrie Blue, and episode three featuring the band Rosemont Post. And if you've already tuned in, welcome back. We are so grateful for your support and listening ears. We have some exciting things to announce in the next coming month as the city begins to reopen more and more, so please stay tuned. Alex Remnick is a lifelong student of the artistic realm. First hooked as a child by gallery trips with their mother, which informed their early exploration of photography, starting at just the age of 13. With a fine arts major in 2012 from the University of Pennsylvania, loads of on-the-ground experience working on their college newspaper and then professionally in news and media, Alex is a creative whose work isn't held to one medium or field. They received their master's from the International Center of Photography at Bard College right before the pandemic, culminating in a show on March 12th, 2020, which many people recognize as the final weekend before New York City's first major lockdown for COVID-19. I was first introduced to Alex as a DJ for various DIY underground venues in the city, but their collage, photography, and visual art has been expanding since and before then. All right, so finally, introducing Alex Rimnick. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'd love to give you a few minutes after my intro to to introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. Well, I am a multidisciplinary artist. I'm born and raised in New York City. I have a very (laughs) difficult time uh, talking about myself and being very specific, but most of my work right now is digital art that's sort of based in self-portraiture and collage. I've been Uh, really enjoying just the small glimpses I've been seeing on your Instagram. Thanks. I try to put as much there as possible just to kind of keep it getting out in the world and not be so precious about it. Right. I do think there is like a balance, especially right now in a world where we aren't getting the opportunities for live shows. Yeah, I love the way you put that, not be so precious about it, to give our art Um, a little more freely. I mean, there's definitely art that I am much, much more precious about. I Mm -hmm. think my relationship with music, for instance, is much more, I like to keep things under wraps a lot more because I'm less sort of confident about that. Sorry, that just, all that does is pique my interest. (laughs) Honestly, that just means that like most of it's probably bad. No, that's, that's only your Uh, self judge happening. Yeah, (laughs) probably a little bit. Um, But I think, for whatever reason, I have become like very comfortable sharing visual art. Instagram specifically has been like a nice platform, especially in the pandemic, to be able to share that work. Sometimes it's, you know, something that I worked on for three days. And sometimes it's something that I made with like Photoshop's mobile app. Right. Um, sitting on the couch, just sort of like <laughs> trying not to fully dissociate. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to watch four things but also make art on my phone. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Just like tuning out to trash TV and also like taking all these like weird photographs of myself on the couch and stitching them together. You know, it's a a process. I love it. I love it. So like interdisciplinary. 
I love that you started with that because I first knew you as a musician. I didn't even, I mean, we Yeah, we I guess we met, met through the nightlife scene. I know, we met through through the scene. So it's always so fascinating to me when I then am like, oh, this person also does like 14 other artistic endeavors. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I know. I feel like I do a lot of things pretty okay. And like... <laughs> You know, I, I I try to be one of those jack of all trades. I also just like I have a lot of like ADD issues, and so I think I kind of my brain naturally jumps around right back and forth. So I, to the best of my ability, try to let my creative process do that as well. Otherwise, I'm like fighting a losing battle against my own brain. I think that's really important. I think kind of having like that go to. My mom is a potter, and her kind of having like a go to. Thing that she knows she enjoys making before she yes. has to make like commissioned work is such a nice like it can get you into your art easier it can get you yeah. into those spaces I think that's very much my relationship with photography mm. is that's the medium that I started out with as a teenager and just anytime I'm feeling sort of creatively in a rut or drained working in a certain way I can always go back to going for a walk taking my camera out with me and just trying to capture something that's awesome that sort of pursuit is it kind of brings you back to zero yeah in a lot of ways and I think not only does it bring me back to zero but the work that is less photo based is always sort of either inspired by or informed by that photographic process Mm. so i'm always thinking about the way something is going to look when it's photographed though i have done a fair number of like live performances especially when i was in grad school Mm -hmm. that i think worked really well in a live setting that just like did not work as well when it was recorded for whatever reason it's always so interesting when something just really doesn't translate um but it's also it's such a nice because you're like well if you missed it you missed it and like you yeah can't, you know you can't really i'm sure like it. you know you're involved in theater and mm-hmm. like that has been sort of the central issue and question of the past 12 months is how do you or can you even should you even try to recreate the intimacy of an on-stage experience in a virtual setting is it even possible and my answer is no just straight up no oh I, don't, I, I don't, definitely don't think it's possible I don't think it is possible I think that doing virtual driven performances are possible but I don't enjoy theater on yeah and I think I had Zoom. this a very similar realization with DJing online I'll mm. still play a live stream event every now and then but I, you know it's not the same Right. Um, and I've just sort of come to accept that. And interestingly, a lot of the DJs that have had really successful experiences live streaming have mostly been doing stuff that isn't just DJing. Right. So you have musicians that run labels who are going through demos on Twitch mm-hmm. and giving commenters like their honest opinions about the music that they've submitted. And that works so much better in that format. Right. Than trying to recreate a 
genuine live experience. This is never going to feel the same. It's never going to feel the same. I was talking with a friend about Brooklyn Mirage. And so I was looking back at old videos from Brooklyn Mirage, just going, oh, my God, I want to I want to get back to a setting like this. Yeah. And yeah, I just I really I totally agree that you can be entertaining in a virtual setting. Yes. But it has to be because it's virtual. I think what happens you know what is I'm... you have to take into <laughs> Sorry, account Daniel. the fact that you're doing a, a virtual experience. Thank that you. The yes. way somebody somebody is not going to be taking in that experience like slightly tipsy in a crowd of 5,000 people where the sound is booming. They right. might be on their couch or at their laptop with a pair of headphones on and they can, you know, go to the bathroom at any time or like go make themselves a drink <laughs> and the music's going to stop. They don't have as much of an active focus. I totally agree. Like visual art has, I think, had a really difficult time figuring out what it's going to do and not to just immediately jump on and talk about NFTs, but like, I feel like that's sort of the visual art world having a bit of a panic. (laughs) Thank you. A non-fungible token, NFT, is a unit of data stored on a digital ledger called a blockchain that certifies a digital asset to be unique and therefore not interchangeable. When someone buys an NFT, they're not buying the actual digital artwork, they're buying a link to it. And worse, they're buying a link that in many cases lives on a website of a new startup that's likely to fail within a few years. Decades from now, how will anyone verify whether the linked artwork is the original? Since NFTs still depend on one company staying in business to verify the art, they depend on old-fashioned pre-blockchain internet where an artwork could simply vanish if someone forgot to even just renew a domain name. I'm just going to say it. I think NFTs are dumb. (laughs) Um... They don't make so any brave. sense to me. If you could see the JPEG that has supposedly been protected by this blockchain backing, then the whole thing doesn't make any sense. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And the art world has had many other ways of doing what is essentially being done with NFTs. We've had you know, both physical and digital certificates of authenticity that do the same thing right. and don't or don't take up like a car's worth of gas every single day to stay on the ledger. It's not sustainable. I mean, I do like artists getting paid. Yes. Very much approve of that. It just, it's unfortunate that it's going to something that just like kind of feels scammy. Yeah. I definitely, I I'm definitely on the same page with you regarding that. It, it definitely feels made up. It does. Um, And I think like it's sort of the other thing is, you know, so much of art is contrived and made up. And so I think the things that are going to be successful as NFTs are going to be the media that truly understand that as a, how do I put this? They need to understand that medium in its own form and understand what are you saying by turning your work into an NFT? What does it then become? What is it doing? And I'm sure we will, but like, will they still be such a commodity after all this when quote unquote real shows are happening again? Mm -hmm. I I just don't see them being like, I mean, maybe I'm totally talking out of my ass. Maybe NFTs are like the next thing, but 
more than they are already right now. But so I have a mantra. Okay. Which sorry to interrupt. No, no, please. Uh, I have a mantra, which is that I don't really trust any form of media that hasn't been embraced by porn. I think that's totally <laughs> valid. <laughs> porn, like to be completely honest, porn has picked the winner in basically every single form of media, partially Correct. like because of their influence mm-hmm. and partially because of the safety concerns and particular requirements that sex work requires right in terms of the safety of your product both for the consumer and for the, the people sex involved worker, mm-hmm. that it's not gonna so there's no nft porn is what i'm sure saying. there is but like <laughs> as a anya please please look this up <laughs> as a monolith i guess like you could see the adult industry moving much more towards subscription services, right? True. Like OnlyFans or whatever. And you're slowly maybe also starting to see other creators, Mm -hmm. uh, like YouTubers, who are basically doing the same thing on like Patreon. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe like... Maybe the security will get better to the point where NFTs really can do the things that they purport to do. But I also, I don't hold my breath. We'll see. I don't either. And I also, I'm just so over it. (laughs) Just like every single time I see one of these massive sales, I'm just like, yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, (laughs) I think in general, you're not going to be able to sell something like that unless you're already able to trade off of your own name. Yeah. Or it's much, much harder to. Right. Right. So you're not, you're not looking. So what I hear is you're not looking to sell NFTs right now. I don't think so. No. Though there is NFT porn, it has not become as popularized as VR porn. And much like Alex suggested, NFTs still really only hold value if your name is already marketable. Much like celebrity Bella Thorne's presence on an already saturated platform such as OnlyFans, NFT porn has only been highly lucrative for those already established celebrities and artists. Taking a step back from NFTs. What I heard earlier is that photography is sort of the reset for you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to have that kind of check and balance in your own work. So growing up, that was your first real artistic use of expression was photography? Yeah, the most like the most concentrated. I I drew growing up, but Mm -hmm. I was terrible at drawing. And I think once I started taking pictures, things really started to click. Oh, Pun intended. Excellent. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. Your terrible pun mashed my burp, so <laughs> okay, I think we're perfect. good. Yeah, it was the one that really sort of clicked for me. Pun intended. Yes, okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> because I think I just sort of interfaced with the world in that way. And it's so it was so weird because, you know, I, I started when I was 13 and knowing how to operate a film or digital camera was something that wasn't universal and now right. it's so universal what um, year would this have been if you don't mind aging dating yourself <laughs> so i'm 30 so this i was starting to take pictures around like when i was maybe 12 or 13 okay so um, early 2000s. and then more seriously once i turned like 15 or 16 so were you shooting in a digital medium or no I, sh- I actually learned film? for many years pretty exclusively black and white film awesome and i was sort of a snob about it as you should be at the age of 12 or 13. True. <laughs> and 
just after at some point in college, I had become used to digital technology, Mm -hmm. I guess, well enough that I, I started using it more for my own work as well. I had worked at a a student newspaper. I shot for the college fashion magazine and you can't really shoot film for either of those. Right. Cause Not it's, a, it's yeah. just too expensive. It's I too think. expensive. It's too time consuming. Mm-hmm. And like the retouching requirements of both obviously more fashion, just like kind of require a digital workflow. Right. I feel like, like it's always excess when it comes to those kind of, you want more rather than yeah. less. Whereas like, I know like you for fun still shoot on. Um, every now and then. On black and white format? Or? Every every once in a while mm-hmm. I'll still do it, but it hasn't really been a regular part of my practice for a long time. Okay. Is it something you're wanting to reintegrate into it or is it? I, I mean, I would never fully back away from Let it. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, a skill that I always have in the pocket. And that's sort of, even if I'm not doing it, like having learned the sort of, toughest version of the process I think helped me understand like even how to take photographs on an iPhone or how to turn those into collages it's just sort of like a very strong foundation definitely it's Um, like the ballet of photography yes very cool um I I don't have any ballet (laughs) I'm a ballet I'm I'm more of a dance physical um I took like two months of tap because a friend of mine... I never took tap. A friend of mine was like, I can only do this tap class if I have like three other people. And so I did tap for like two months and Love I was it. absolutely terrible. <laughs> Damn it. I really wanted you to be like, and I took to it very well. What if I was... Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Just spread that lie. Just spread that lie. No, because yourself. that is a lie that they will... That you will be Somebody called. will try and back up. There's only are you going to be out in tap shoes? Well, though you you could still ask somebody to do a soft shoe. I don't know, like, and there's only so many times you can be like, oh, you know, my ankles hurt. That's <laughs> so what I hear is that you're not a liar. <laughs> We're not I, out here spreading rumors. I'm not spreading you. any uh, tap-based aspersions about my abilities. <laughs> so you touched on uh, college a little bit earlier. Um, would I would love you if you told our listeners a little bit, of, kind of about your educational background? And, sure you know, general views on education or your education in particular. Yeah. So um, I studied undergrad at the University of Pennsylvania in Philly. I was a fine art major, which is kind of a weird place to be a fine art major. Why is that? Just because like every, a lot of people there are like studying finance or what. I mean, it's it's like a massive part of it. It's pretty fratty school. It's obviously Ivy League, but the people that were studying art were it was an interesting career there were people there that were like wanted to do art for the rest of their lives um at least one of them has gone on to have like a really successful art career uh that one's not me well (laughs) but uh, (laughs) we're still here (laughs) that's fair we're still here and then some of them were like pre-med students who went on to be doctors but wanted you know other things as well it was it was a very interesting mix I think it was nice to have other friends that were outside of that because it always sort of kept me a little bit grounded, which was a very different experience than grad school, which I just graduated last May. And that was like, you know, in God. Yeah. That was like 12 of us who were all just like hyper focused on time-based media and specifically photography. Yeah, it was very different. Yeah, because I remember, and I know you said this a little bit, maybe 
in just our interactions in the last month or so talking about your show on March 12th, 2020 was like the last thing I was invited to in yeah last year. It was basically. basically, so the way that my grad program worked is that once a week for most of the spring, one person would have a solo show and you know, it, it was basically like a big gallery event and I was, I think the fourth person scheduled for my show mm. and, um, you slid under the wire. I barely. So we had, I was able to have an opening and then two days later, um, you know, the show's only open for like five or six days. So two days later, I get a call from the head of the program that says somebody in the program might have contracted COVID so we have to Oof. completely shut down everything. We're shutting down all buildings. We're shutting down the gallery. Wow. So I held virtual tours of my show that I had spent like physically like two months working on and intellectually like two years. And I was, I you know, showing everybody around my collages mm. and my videos and my uh, sound pieces like on an iPhone through Skype. It was very surreal. That's very bizarre. How were you emotionally doing at that moment? Like, Not great. Yeah, um, I can imagine that. I was also going through like a period of, I had just lost a close friend. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was a really weird time. And just very much nothing happened the way that I thought it would. Right. Even if there was sort of like a, a limited opening, mm-hmm. the whole thing was sort of under this like, specter mm-hmm. of covid and we just we were at this point in the process where you know it was mid-march we our understanding was very limited right i would say yeah it was it was sort of a scary scary time and i was just trying to make work that really had nothing to do with any of that i've yeah. been talking about this a lot with friends how bizarre the collective grief is Absolutely. I was in the middle of working on, I I haven't been pursuing acting for quite a long time and had finally agreed to be part of a a piece. And uh, we were in our first week of rehearsals when everything happened. There's some grief about, you know, just what we didn't get to do. And then also, of course, the catastrophic loss of life. But there is that like selfish moment where you're like, but I was going to, I was working on something. I was in my groove. I know. Like, you know, you were really in your groove. You, I mean, like you said, you had been working this physically two months, mentally two years. Yeah. That's and this a lot was, of this was life. like a big culmination moment. And I mean, also I was like in sort of a groove with DJing. Like I was right. starting to, I was starting to get sort of slightly higher profile gigs, mm-hmm. you know, week by week month by month and then every like i i don't even know i don't what, really what is reopening going to be like what i is... don't know what reopening is going to be like mm-hmm. i don't know you where know, are the people who booked for where are the people who booked for me are right. they even living in the city anymore like it, yeah are the connections still it's there? gonna be such a rebuilding process and part of me wonders like will i even have the energy to do it and it's kind of terrifying <laughs> New York City's reopening plans are being updated daily, and as of this recording, per Mayor de Blasio's press conference Thursday, April 29th, the city will reopen at 100% capacity by July 1. Those studies have found, per the New York Times, that herd immunity in the U.S. is unlikely due to coronavirus variants and persistent hesitancy regarding vaccination. 
was speaking with a friend about even like launching this first episode and I was like, okay, I want to do it on YouTube and I want to, I want there to be this presence and I want mm-hmm. a TikTok and blah, blah, blah. And my friend was like, you sound like you're really stressing about like all these different elements. Why don't you just like focus on one? just get the podcast out, just do it. Yeah. You know, and it's that sort of thing where, but I've totally been thinking about like, are the connections still there? Are they still viable? I've been thinking about that a lot. And like, especially with your work, which is, I don't know, your work is so fascinating. And when you were the visual artist for apartment party, I really had no idea what kind of work you were going to bring, which was so exciting for me. And your work is really vulnerable and also ever-changing kind of with your ability to navigate between mediums. So I think you also caught me in this, like, if I remember correctly, I was midway through my first semester. Yeah, it would have been late 2018, early 2019. Yeah, yeah. so I was really at this period where I, I went to uh, the International Center of Photography, their MFA program mm-hmm. uh, with actually Bard. I was like, oh, I expected to just sort of continue this photography process that I had been sort of in for the past maybe six months or so. Mm -hmm. And I get to the, I get to classes and I just totally break away and I start making like experimental videos and sound pieces and performance pieces. I think that's kind of what school does to me. Maybe it just gives me an opportunity to just play around and see where I am. Try a new, try a new hat kind of thing. Yeah. And so it's sort of weird to like, be at the end of the academic process and I'll be like, oh, okay, now you have to figure out who you are. <laughs> so so where does that leave you with your art? Like, where where are you now? Interestingly, in- I really feel like I found a groove with these collages that I've been making. I love that. Uh, thank you. They are, I, I think one of the things that I struggle with sometimes is I'll make a piece that I feel really strongly about and then I won't be able to justify why I like it mm. and is that necessary liking it yeah, I think or like so. having I, a I, reason for liking it I think the work is stronger if you can sort of intellectually defend your decisions to make it oh um, oh I love that <laughs> you didn't need to have had those thoughts in your brain as you were making the work 100% no but you need to be able to sort of like look back on your work on what you've created and say, be able to contextualize it. And does that mean giving it purpose, giving it purpose for you, giving it purpose for the viewer or I think, you know, who's the process for, I guess is what I'm, I guess it's, it, it, it's definitely for me. Like totally. it, it helps me understand why I'm making the decisions that I am, you know? So just to give a little background on the work that we're talking about, these are a series of digital collages that I've made over the past year or so that exclusively use images of myself, my face, my body, you know, my nose, just sort of random close up images that if you were to just pull them out of my, uh, you know, camera roll on my phone are pretty unflattering. <laughs> and so, I started working in this way and the first thing that I did was I tried to recreate sort of classical paintings. Oh, interesting. Um, it's a good practice. It, it was it was a good way to sort of like play around in this medium and like understand the sort of structural 
physical decisions that I was making, Mm. like how to sort of, I don't know, paint a scene. And so, you know, I did one, for instance, like the Matisse dance, a couple, like a Madonna and Child one where I use my butt as a face. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I really, I enjoyed making that work and I, I found it really fulfilling. And then I got to the process of trying to defend the decisions that I was making. And I, I had to ask myself, like, why are you recreating paintings? Mm-hmm. And I thought about it for a while and I realized I didn't really have a reason. It was just, it was just sort of an instinctual idea that made sense. It seemed like, I don't know, the right artistic decision to make, but it didn't really say anything about me. Okay. And so as the work has become sort of more chaotic and more abstracted, um, I think it's starting to touch on these questions about personal identity and specifically digital identity uh, and how those interact with each other and how we sort of take ourselves apart and then rearrange ourselves in a digital form. And I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it can be beautiful and freeing and the more i have that as my thesis in my head i think the easier it is to understand you know why i would make a certain cut or why i would select a certain piece of my body to work with it kind of gives your work some legs sounds like i would hope so yeah yeah no 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 i mean i think that i didn't mean that um no no critically i I more meant that like if, like you said, if you have this sort of... I mean, it does physically sometimes feature my legs. <laughs> God, we are just punny over yeah. here. I, it's okay. Puns are my love language. So <laughs> so taking this body of work and kind of taking, like you said, this sort of thesis forward, like what are the next steps? Like, I don't know. Like uh, you're vaccinated. I'm half vaccinated. Congratulations. Um, like, thank you. Thank you. And I am beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel are you allowing yourself to get excited about the possibility of live shows, about DJing again, about doing a live art show? Yes, but I think it's a mistake. You think it's a mistake? I don't, but that's maybe just because I've spent the past year, like, I don't know. It feels like we're all being gaslit by the entire world. (laughs) Does that make sense? Oh my God, yes. As, as someone who has been gaslit, yeah, I, just I like, feel gaslit. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the whole... Two weeks, four weeks. Exactly. Le- weeks. And like last... <laughs> honestly, the worst of it wasn't the two weeks, four weeks. What It was that beautiful moment last summer where it really felt like it was over. <laughs> and like we were going... I was going on picnics again. I played like a rooftop show that was that felt like really safe and fun and wonderful. And then it all just went to shit again. So I think, you know, as much as I want to be like really excited and optimistic, um, I, I'm holding my breath. I feel that. I feel that. And I'm taking it one day at a time. Yeah. Cause I, I, I'm, (laughs) I'm tired of being disappointed. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here, Alex. This was so fun. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I love, 
I loved having that big laugh. God, that felt good. It was cathartic. Uh, so my kind of thesis for this project, for this first season, is something I've been thinking about since last summer, since I initially put this idea in my own head of doing a podcast and reconnecting in whatever way possible with mm-hmm. the community that I have, that I want to continue having and growing and uh, nurturing. What does joy look like in a community setting going forward for you? I was prepared for this question because I knew you asked it at the end, but I also, (laughs) I'm not sure. I think just in general, joy is going to start looking like the end of as many hierarchies as possible. Ooh, yes. I know that's sort of like. Big, I love it. That's like big a, brain. Big, that's community. a big brain, galaxy brain take. I know it might be too much. No, I love it. I think in general, we live in a very hierarchical world. And the source of a lot of unfairness, be it, you know, racism, sexism, transphobia, prejudice in general, or economic hierarchies, I think we just need to take a step back, I guess, and deconstruct those ideas that there is sort of inherent ways of valuing someone's worth. And I think joy in a community setting is a setting where everybody really feels like they're having their worth celebrated and their individual needs met. Oh, (laughs) I want it. I want it right now. (laughs) I I feel that. I feel that. And I love that. Thank you so much for for that beautiful sentiment. Um, Thank you. Can you tell the people where to find you, where to, or any plugs that you have coming? Yeah, up? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just my name. It's at Alex Remnick. You can find my music on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com/Remnick. That's R-E-M-N-I-Q-E. There's no U. That has been the source of much confusion oh, over God. the course of my music career. <laughs> um, you just had to be special. <laughs> yeah, it just had to be special. Yeah. And you can check out my website, uh, alexremnick.com. Excellent. And we'll have all those things linked for everyone so they can check it out with the proper spelling. Yes. Um, (laughs) Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. AP Studio Files can be found on all your streaming platforms. Please share with your friends. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at APStudioBK. Our host is Miller Pike, technical producer Anya Kapishki, photographer Tucker W. Mitchell. Today's theme music is by Fab the Duo, and our research by H. Conley. Special thanks to Kayla Littman, Corey Germain, Rachel Kreenberg, Tim LaSalle, and Alexandra Cole. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been an AP Studio production in association with Apartment Party. 